Welcome to the Sooners Extra Podcast, powered by the Oklahoma. The Sooners Extra Podcast is presented by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. Or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. I'm Ryan Aber, beat writer from the Oklahoma, and here as always with fellow beat writer Abby Bitterman and a special guest today, OSU beat writer for the Oklahoma, Scott Wright. Scott, thanks for uh, joining the Sooners Extra. Absolutely. You guys are way better at the Zaxby's uh, intro than I am on uh, over on our podcast, the Cowboy Chronicles. Just oh, yeah. We, props we've got a, we got a lot of energy got for it. To do. Yeah. Yeah. I got I to gotta bring up the energy on, uh, <laughs> on how we're handling that. No doubt about it. But, uh, Scott, we're here to talk Bedlam. Uh, finally here. Won't have to wait as long next year for, for this game to, to come That's around. Right. It's an early, early conference season game for the first time in uh, a long, long time. Yeah, exactly. Um, we got to start, Scott, with Chuba Hubbard and the season that he's put together. Probably the second best season by an Oklahoma running back ever. Uh, Oklahoma State, yeah. Uh, Oklahoma State I, running yes. back, excuse me. Yes. I mean, I mean, we can discuss where he falls among Oklahoma running backs too, but um, <laughs> yes, I, I think that uh, by by the time it's all said and done, he's uh, you know statistically going to be there. He's going to be number two behind Barry Sanders in a lot of really significant categories, and I think it's pretty easy to uh, to to put him in that uh, in that in that spot. Even even at this point, his uh, his yards per carry, yards per game, touchdowns, the productivity that he is uh, is playing with is uh, is really special. And uh, I mean, nobody's catching number one on that list, Barry Sanders. But oh, yeah, I mean, it's the greatest season by <laughs> running back in all time. So. Yes, exactly. But uh, but yeah, to to be number two behind Barry Sanders on a list is pretty Im- impressive, and I think that's where Chuba's is going to be. Well- what do you think has allowed him to just break out so much this season? You know, part of it is the fact that he had he had an opportunity to sit and watch for for one year as a redshirt freshman, and then sort of gradually work his way in as as uh, or I'm sorry, as a redshirting freshman, and then as a redshirt freshman, uh, gradually work his way in behind Justice Hill, and then so by the time he got to those last four games of the season, when uh, Justice Hill goes down with an injury and Bedlam is done for the year, he becomes the feature back. He was a lot more prepared for it at that point, I think, and then he got those four games to see what it was like to be the number one guy. And that really helped him prepare for what was ahead. Uh, Mike Gundy, Chuba himself, and a lot of other players have talked about how they saw a, a, a switch flip for him in in the off season, coming into the preseason, and how football became a much more important part of his life, and uh, how how practice and preparation became far more important than they had been before. Not that he wasn't trying hard before, but it went to a different level. And, you know, he had uh, that in that, that red shirt year, he was able to spend a lot of time with Rob Glass, really bulked up. He came in at 190 pounds and everybody knew he could fly because he was this track guy up in Canada and all of that. Uh, but they didn't know how he was going to, going to adjust to the physicality of Big 12 football. And he was able to uh, to add some muscle and really prepare himself for that. And that's been probably the most impressive thing is how well he runs between the tackles and getting tough yards and doing those sorts of things. And, Scott, just the value that this guy has, especially when they lose uh, Tylen Wallace, who was 
you know, one of the best wide receivers in the country. And then, uh, you know, obviously Spencer Sanders goes down a, a couple weeks ago with a thumb injury, and he's going to be out for the rest of the season. But Chuba gets held out of the end zone last last week for the – I believe it was the first time all season, right? Uh, uh, first but, time since early in the year, yeah. Okay. Or it might be the first all season. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, it he is. The, he did, uh, yeah, because I, I was thinking uh, he had a really bad game against McNeese and fumbled, but he scored a touchdown that day. So yeah, right. 44 yards a touchdown that day. Yeah. But still – the way that they used uh, used him on Saturday, getting the ball out of the backfield, what seven receptions, which I believe was uh, was a career high for yes. him. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that, there's no doubt who the most valuable uh, cowboy is on that offensive side, and it's Chuba Hubbard. What are the uh, Oklahoma State Cowboys saying about Oklahoma's defense? And obviously, it's a different look defense than last year. When Shuba had uh, what 104 yards, three touchdowns. I think it was 153 total offensive yards for him. So they didn't stop him much last year. Um, a little bit different defense. The defense is playing uh, pretty well right now, but they haven't faced anything like Shuba Hubbard. Right. You know the Oklahoma State offensive line has has been a little bit up and down. That I think will be a, a big key because they've got to get him some holes to run through. Um, that's uh, that's that's going to be the biggest thing. Then, um, you know, I think Drew Brown is going to have to uh, connect with some passes early to keep Oklahoma honest on uh, on defense in terms of how many guys they're loading up in the box. Because we've seen with the guys that they've got up front and the way that they're keeping those guys fresh, that they can uh, that they can come up and play pretty tough in that uh, in, in that realm. And and so that's going to be really important to what they uh, to what Oklahoma State does in terms of uh, of getting Chuba the ball and getting him some room to run, not making him uh, have to fight for a lot of yardage, and uh, and then you add the screen game and uh, and try to get him out in space and see what he can do out there because that's when he's most dangerous. Um, you know, Mike Gundy has said they uh, they probably should have started throwing him the ball earlier this year uh, more often. They didn't throw him the ball a ton until the last couple of weeks, and, and that's been a really important factor. Uh, but it was also a bit of a protection thing. Because you get a guy out there and he's out, on the, on the, on, out in the flat and he's looking for the ball, that could open him up to some blindside hits and different things like that. So... That was a little bit of a protection issue, but um, now I think uh, I think all bets are off because they need to get the ball to Chuba Hubbard as much as they can and in many as many different ways as they can to uh, to have a chance to attack this defense. You know, with Spencer Sanders being out, everyone got to see Drew Brown against West Virginia. I guess um, what did what did you kind of learn about him in that game, and wh- how do you think he'll react facing OU? You know the uh, the the thing that I wasn't expecting was how comfortable he was running the up tempo part of the offense uh, because that's one thing that's ha- so hard to simulate in practice. Um, but they they didn't really go to it much until the first drive of the fourth quarter, and all of a sudden he seemed to to come alive at that point. He was eight of ten passing in the fourth quarter. Almost all of that was in the up tempo, you know, short passing game, short quick throws. Uh, to his receivers, he was putting balls in in perfect places where his receivers were the the only people that could catch the ball. Defensive backs, even in good coverage, couldn't get there. That was the thing that uh, that surprised me. I was a little also a little surprised they didn't try throwing uh, more deeper intermediate routes. Um, but uh, I think that's something that we, we might see be kind of the next step in his progression this week, um, because I think those are are some important routes for uh, for their receivers 
getting down the field and uh, and trying to make some plays. So um, that was uh, that was the thing. He he's he's a, this guy's a veteran. Even though this was his first OSU start, he's an experienced guy and and isn't rattled by anything. And this is going to be nowhere near. Uh, I mean, off the charts beyond anything he's played in to this point uh, as far as the biggest games of his career. Uh, but I he doesn't seem like a guy that's going to be rattled by the situation of Bedlam. And Scott, how important has Dylan Stoner been to this offense since uh, since Tylen Wallace got hurt? It's really hard to explain just how important he has become. Um, you know, the 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 truth is, this is a guy that's really the the biggest uh, negative of of his entire career is timing, because <laughs> he's played with James Washington and Tylen Wallace, uh, one guy who won the Blitnikoff, one guy who was uh, who was a finalist for the Blitnikoff, and he just hasn't ever needed to be the guy. And the moment that the, the opportunity arose for him to be the guy he's been fantastic he's been incredibly reliable he had to change positions for the most part he still plays in the slot some uh, but for the most part he's an outside receiver now and playing that that Tylen Wallace role and he's been uh, he's been spectacular that he's caught pretty much everything that's been thrown to him he's gotten open deep he's gotten open short he's gotten tough yards he's he's been he's been spectacular since uh, since he's had to step into that role yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Oklahoma State is able to, to spread the ball around uh, to those guys and how much what Chuba Hubbard does opens things up in the uh, the passing game for them and maybe makes it a little bit easier on Drew Brown to work. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be a, a big key because they've got to uh, they've got to keep the offense uh, moving in in flow and and doing what they do and and having all of those pieces come together will be key. All right, we're going to take a break there. We're going to come back with uh, a mailbag segment with uh, Abby and I and, and Barry Trammell. And then the last segment, Scott Wright's going to uh, join us once again, talk a little bit of uh, Oklahoma State's defense versus Oklahoma's offense, and then uh, make some predictions. But this is the Sooners Extra Podcast. I'm Ryan Aber here with Abby Bitterman and Scott Wright. The Sooners Extra Podcast is presented by Zaxby's. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast. I'm Ryan Aber here with Abby Betterman and now with uh, Barry Trammell. And it's time for the mailbag segment. We got some uh, good questions today. Uh, Barry, I wanted to start with you. A question from Scott on Twitter said, uh, Of all the carries Jalen Hurts has in a game, what percentage do you think are actually designed quarterback runs versus him not handing it to the running back in the read game? Um hardly any of them i think yeah. most of his carries he has the option right i would agree with that i mean it's don't you think yeah i think there's no doubt about that well let me say this outside the quarterback draws they run a lot of draws yeah almost every designed run, total hurts run it is a quarterback draw right everything else is either a scramble or an option yeah what do you? How do so you? So if like so, what's the option he does on zone reads? It's about fifty-fifty, I'd say, yeah. handing and keeping. Wouldn't you think that's about right? I, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. think that's probably about right. I've got um, now. Here's the I I denote every game I cover, or some I don't cover. I'm just watch. I denote all of his carries. What's a what's a zone read? What's a draw? What's a scramble? 
What I don't know is when he makes the right decision. I don't right. have any idea. I don't. And, I mean, just judging by the productivity, you would think that the decision has been right more, much more often than not. I mean, clearly the, the frustration among so, some OU fans is the ball security that we've talked about so much on this podcast. But it seems like he's making the right read um, a lot of the times. I, I just want to know why he decides to keep it so much. And I feel like that's been asked of him many a time and I don't really recall a great answer on that but I think it's just interesting that you know he does have this option and it's what feels like eight times out of ten he chooses he chooses to go with himself as the option yeah it's certainly uh I'm not gonna say eight times out of ten but significant amount of time a good number uh, of times out of ten uh pick that but uh you know that'll be be interesting to watch especially i think uh, in the bowl game uh whatever that is how he handles that because um, i i think he's done like i said a pretty good job of the year but he's got to do a better job these last two regular se- or last regular season game the big 12 title game and and moving on about you know keeping keeping on to the ball so we'll we'll see if he's able to improve in that um abby another question here from matt how do you explain this team's inconsistency he said he finds riley's explanation of being young somewhat deflective especially after uh you know at this point in the season you know when i was teaching sunday school um one of the one of the sunday school students who's in like fifth grade asked me when oklahoma would stop doing surprises and i think that her question is essentially the same and I think it's what a lot of people want to know because usually you're used to Oklahoma being a semifinal. Sorry, I was reading your tweet <laughs> while I was talking. Um, no, usually you're used to Oklahoma being consistent on at least one side of the ball, generally the offense. But now kind of even like within a quarter, things can shift so dramatically. So I don't really know how you explain <laughs> it, uh, but – it's very different from, I think, what you're used to seeing from Oklahoma. I really don't understand these kinds of questions. Is there something, like Saturday night, is there something mysterious about what went on? I, oh, you had the ball on the goal line twice. Yeah. And, and in those two situations, TCU outscored OU 7 to nothing. Yeah. I mean, if you just put you don't that. Can't, if, you don't, if, you don't hand up, if you don't throw them a slant and you don't fumble – yeah, I mean, if the OU, final score is forty-one to seventeen, uh, forty-two to seventeen. Yeah. Or heck, yeah. even if they just, even if they something goes wrong and they wind up kicking two field goals there, instead of yeah, it's thirty-four up, to seventeen. Yeah, I mean that's not this I is mean, not the, a mystery. It comes down to protecting the football. Well, I mean, it comes down to protecting the football. If you yeah. protect the football better, those things that have looked like things shrinking up on the Sooners. Now, Iowa State, I think they just let down. That's what happened. Yeah, I think that's what happened in that The whole game. dang state let the, down. You know, obviously the Kansas State game was uh, just not playing well, well at all. They didn't play. Even when they were ahead, they weren't playing well. You right. could tell that early. This, this doesn't look good. Now, the Baylor first half. So, really, to me, it comes down to what happened at Waco. Why did they play so poorly and then so well? Yeah. And, I, you know, I don't know. Why is – 
Well, you know, when the, when, the, when the Thunder beat the Jazz in game five <laughs> of the playoffs, how'd you get down 25? I don't know. How'd you get up after being down 25? I don't know. How do these I don't know. If they, Let me tell you, if somebody knew, they would prevent them and they would fix them. That's, some things are not explainable. A lot, of, a lot of NBA references on this week's Sooners Extra podcasts. Yeah, that's the, uh, the second Thunder mention there that we've had. Oh, really? Um, now we're going to go, Barry, beyond just Oklahoma and talking about uh, the uh, playoff resumes. and uh, Playoffs? Somebody, somebody asked us to compare the resumes of, of Utah, Alabama, and Oklahoma. The best wins for Utah, best wins for Bama. They, they also ask, um, which I'll go ahead and answer this one to start off with, would KSU beating ISU and returning to the top 25 help? The answer to me is no, because Iowa State right now is yeah, a top 25 yeah, team. Yeah. And as much as people talk about losses, and I know they get magnified because there are fewer of them, wins still matter. And Wins all, tend to matter more than losses. Right, which is the way it should be. And the win over Iowa State you know, would get uh, devalued a little bit if, if K-State was able to beat them. So um, that, that last part, I'm not um, – I, like I said, I think Oklahoma, neither of those is going to help them that much but uh, or hurt them that much, but I think Iowa State uh, winning that game would be better on balance. But, Barry, this talk about the resumes of, of Utah, Alabama, and Oklahoma is an interesting one because as of now, those are three teams that are going to get compared a ton – when you talk, assuming LSU beats Georgia, uh, and then you would have to have, I mean, if, if you're talking about Utah, Alabama, and Oklahoma would have to win out in those scenarios. But right now it looks like there's a chance that those three teams get, get compared head-to-head quite a bit. Yeah, it comes down to this. First of all, I think Alabama will be sunk. I don't think they'd take Alabama over an 11-1 and conference champ. Yeah. But forget what they will do. When you compare resumes, it comes down to this, and this is the classic. I don't even, I haven't even been comparing Oklahoma and Utah. I've been comparing Baylor and Utah because the committee clearly loves Utah and clearly hates Baylor. And I'm not using the word lightly. I think it's a legitimate. I think that's exactly how they feel about Baylor. They detest the Baylor Bears. And I'm trying to figure out why. Um, but it comes down to this. The committee is valuing dominating a foe more highly than they do quality of the foe. Baylor, they keep talking about Baylor's non-conference schedule. Baylor's schedule is still better than Utah's, even with that awful non-conference. Oklahoma's schedule is way better than Utah's. But if you rank Utah above Oklahoma, that means Utah's domination. The Utes have not played many close games. They've been whacking people. The Sooners have now played five Big 12 games that have been a touchdown or less in, in finish, including two or three down to the wire. So uh, I think they like it. They not. I think they do like it when you whack a team. That's clearly what this committee is saying. They like it when you dominate the opponent, the opponent. even if you're beating a, uh, a team that's pretty good as opposed to squeaking by a team that's really good. Yeah, and Utah, looking at their schedule, they played three games that have been determined this year by 18 or fewer points 
or or, or uh, fewer than 18 points. They uh, lost to USC by seven. They uh, um, beat Washington by five. What is it? Just two? Yeah, it's just two. Just two. And that's it. That's it. Now, and the other thing is this. Utah has played one team that that's in the committee's top 25. And they lost to them. USC. Right. They, put, they got no wins over top 25 teams. If you compared... If you compared Clemson's resume and Utah's resume with, say, Cincinnati or Memphis, Cincinnati or Memphis might have had a tougher schedule. They really might have. But they've been whacking people by a big margin, and the committee likes that. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Cincinnati and sort of you know get off in the weeds a little bit there, but you know they've got the the game against Ohio State. Central Florida was ranked at the time they played. Those two teams that you mentioned, Memphis and Cincinnati, will play this weekend. But Cincinnati lost the big game to Ohio State, forty-two to nothing, and has played a lot of close games in that conference. And then uh, you know you you look at uh, Memphis's resume. Their one loss was was to Temple. The only uh, team that they played that was ranked at the time was SMU who they beat by six, but, yeah, it's it's not that much different. And uh, it's a product of these leagues that have so many teams and play, you know, I think it's a little bit different in the, the, the Pac-12 plays nine, right? That's right. Um, ACC plays the eight. The SEC does not. The ACC does not. So, um, But, like, Alabama's schedule, just the way that it fell this year. Oh, yeah, if you're looking at Alabama, Alabama doesn't have a good – Alabama doesn't have a good win. Unless you count A and M, no. I mean that's their best win, and you know their second best win. You get really tough there. Ew. To to I don't know who it is? Look is it at it. Ole Miss, who stinks? Well, or is it Duke who stinks? Duke really stinks. They're four and seven. Uh, I don't know. It's a bunch of good questions. I mean, I, I, I mean, well, it, here, I here's the deal. The here's actually, podcast. I say this. Alabama's second best win right now is Tennessee, which is sort of yeah, funny that's to right, say. That's right. No, you're right. You're right. And the Vols have actually come back and had a decent year. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think OU or Utah have to worry about Alabama. Yeah, I, I don't either. Actually, I actually think, think Auburn's going to beat Alabama. So Yeah, I think if Auburn but, beats Alabama, then the I, point's completely moot anyway. It doesn't matter. But I, I still think the committee is going to value that, as, as somebody else mentioned in a question, the 13th data point question and the uh, extra conference championship game for both of these versus an SEC um, team that would not have won its division. I think also a, a tourless Alabama is a lot less attractive to the committee. Yeah. Now, I mean, I don't know that that's going to play a huge difference um, if they somehow are able to sweep by Auburn and, and beat them, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, but I think the lack of a conference champion. But we'll see yeah. how that's affected, which Barry, uh, I, I brought it up there and wanted to touch on this last question that somebody asked. said, after deciding the 13th data point was so important years ago, does the committee have a leg to stand on if they send two SEC teams, SEC teams over other one-loss champions? To me, one, the 13th data point talk came a lot from Bob Bowlesby the Big 12 commissioner, as he's talking about that. 
And two, right now, the only scenario that I realistically see for that happening is if Georgia wins the SEC title and knocks off LSU. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's the key. That's the key game, I think, for when you see this this whole situation. Penn State, Ohio State. I mean, I mean, it would have to be Minnesota. Penn State losing to Ohio State. Yeah, it would have to be Minnesota beating Ohio State. But Minnesota would have to beat Wisconsin and Ohio State back to back. So, I think Georgia is really the only instigator you got to worry about. Yeah. Uh, come championship Saturday or even this weekend. So, I think I think you know the, the Sooners got a huge help from uh, Arizona State. That helps a bunch beating Oregon. Um, I don't know if Oregon can beat Utah. For all I know, Utah is an excellent team and deserves to be in the playoff. I just know their schedule has not been very good. I just tell you that. Yeah, but at least now there's a path. There is a path. It is. It's you don't have to, you know, you know, pray the rosary is what they had to do, and uh, that's done. So the, the they got a chance. You know, that's a and in the end, Lincoln Riley's been the one that's been right about this. He said, "I'm not worried about it. This this stuff works itself out, and so far it has." Yeah. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. Yeah, I was. I was just going to add that um, according to 538, OU has the fifth best odds to make it into the college football playoff. So, like like you said, even though there's some teams in front of them, Who's there's definitely – Who's fourth best odds? Georgia. Oh, Georgia. That's interesting. Oh, wait, no, I'm yeah. sorry. Oh, wait, no, this is old. This is old. Yeah, it's Georgia. <laughs> it is Georgia. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that sort of makes sense because Georgia's path is clear. It's just they've got to do something that well, their path's clear. Well, they got to be got to beat LSU. That's so that's which is what gives LSU the uh, third best odds. Yeah, I it think basically so. as though Clemson and Ohio State well, is a here's lock. The deal. So. LSU's making the playoff. Oh yeah. Um, if, they beat, if they beat Texas A&M, yeah, they're making if they beat the playoff. Texas A&M, they're they're going to the playoff. There's no no doubt about that. I think that is right. So. But we'll see what happens. We'll, uh, we're going to take a break here on the Sooners Extra Podcast, come back, I believe, with more Scotty Wright uh, joining us to talk uh, some more Bedlam football, and we'll give our predictions and, and look ahead uh, and, and wrap up that game. So uh, this is uh, the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast presented by Zaxby's. I'm Ryan Aber here with Abby Bitterman. And once again, back with Scott Wright. And uh, Scott wanted to talk to you about Oklahoma State's defense. They've been so maligned in recent years. There were not insignificant amount of people who wondered if Jim Knowles was the right guy for that job. But they've been phenomenal this year. And for the first time in a long time, defense is carrying this Cowboys team. Yeah, it is. And and you're exactly right about Jim Knowles in that in the middle of October, I had people asking me if he was the right <laughs> guy for this job and if he was uh, if his job was in jeopardy. And they've made a, uh, a turnaround. Now, a lot of the uh, the issues that they faced in those two losses against uh, against Texas Tech and Baylor were not necessarily so much on the uh, on the offense as it was the uh, or on, not on the defense as it was the offense turning the ball over and putting the defense in really tough situations uh, but once the offense got the, their issues worked out 
the defense has been has been spectacular. Uh, coverage has been good, which uh, which they expected because they had all of those guys back from last year, and they've all uh, they've all developed and and taken really positive steps forward. In particular, Colby Harvell Peel, who has uh, has has really um, you know become a possible candidate for defensive player of the year in this league. And uh, the defensive line, which was young and inexperienced, has uh, has really grown and, and developed and and been able to get a lot more pressure on the quarterback, which uh, which started to help them finally get some turnovers, which had been an issue. And, um, you know, and then and then the linebackers have been have just been rock solid in the middle. And Scott, I want to ask you about uh, Mike Gundy's comments on, on Jalen Hurts and, and how they work uh, against him in, in just a second. But uh wanted to start off with CeeDee Lamb and what, what you anticipate Oklahoma State doing against him. You know, obviously Oklahoma State knows what a, a big-time wide receiver is, that, and they had Tylen Wallace. But this is uh, – they faced some good ones this year. Jalen Rager, obviously, from TCU. But uh, – you know, CD Lamb can be a little bit different deal. What, what do you anticipate the Cowboys doing to try to slow him down? You know, like you said, we'll talk about about Jalen Hurts and and why that's scary for Oklahoma State in a little bit. But CD Lamb's skill set has to be a little bit terrifying because if you look at what teams have done to have success against Oklahoma State, it's when they've been able to get the secondary spread out and get a guy in space and let him do what he does. And there's nobody in this league that does those things as well as CeeDee Lamb. Um, some of the plays that, uh, that I've seen him make are, are just ridiculous when he gets in space and, and, and just making guys miss. And that's something that's very concerning for Oklahoma State. You look back, even, even West Virginia, when they, they moved the ball pretty well in that second quarter uh, last week, when, when they got going, that's some of the stuff that they were doing was, was getting Oklahoma State's secondary spread out and then attacking from there. So um, that's what Baylor did. That's what Texas Tech did. And uh, and that's where Oklahoma State's coverage of C.D. Lamb and and how they uh, attack him is going to be a really crucial turning point of this game. So now, I guess, to go to Jalen Hurts, I mean, we've seen, we've seen the video of Mike Gundy talking about Oklahoma's uh, quarterbacks and, you know, their – style of offense and I guess what wh- how do you think this defense will respond to a player like Jalen Hurts it's going to be interesting because there have been times when they've struggled with running quarterbacks in general um, you know if you look at some of the runners that they've faced this year they've uh, they've worked really hard to try to to uh, to, to contain them um, without dedicating a lot of extra guys they don't I don't think have that luxury with Jalen Hurts, so they're going to have to uh, be creative in what they do, so that that, that Jalen doesn't necessarily know, you know, which guy might be spying him, or uh, um, you know, who's going to be coming on a blitz, and those sorts of things. Which uh, that's uh, that's the ideal challenge for Jim Knowles. He loves the opportunity to get creative, but uh, you obviously can't get too far away from, from what you do and, uh, and who you are. So you can't go change a bunch of things in one, in one week right now. So that's going to be the, uh, the, the biggest challenge in, uh, in finding ways to make sure that the Jalen hurts doesn't know where the attack is coming from and, uh, and, and keeping him off balance as much as possible. Um, because when, uh, when, you know, even uh, even when Oklahoma State knows there's a quarterback that's capable of running, 
they've had breakdowns where they've gotten you know defensive ends get too far up the field on on their pass rushes and open up a giant lane right up the middle for for a quarterback on a pass play that breaks down to take off and and get big chunks of yards so uh, that's going to be some of the most important things for them to uh, to make sure that they're uh, you know staying in uh, in the right places getting off of blocks when they can and uh, and not letting him see a lot of open run or running room Scott, obviously the the quarterbacks are going to play such a big role in this game. But to to you, where's the key in this game for Oklahoma State? If they're if they are to pull off the win in this game, which I believe would be the first one in this series since the uh, the Tyreek Hill mm-hmm. uh, punt return, what do the Cowboys have to do uh, to 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 come out with a victory? I'm gonna I'm gonna the most important thing I think is creating some turnovers. They're going to have to steal Which some Oklahoma has been pretty uh, susceptible to of late. Yeah, and uh, the West Virginia game aside, Oklahoma State has been doing really well. Uh, they didn't have any takeaways in Morgantown, uh, but they were racking them up in the uh, the three games prior, and that was really important. I think stealing some possessions from Oklahoma is going to be the best way to uh, to limit that offense and uh, and obviously give – the Oklahoma State offense the best chance to uh, to put up enough points to to outlast them in the long run, um, you know whether it's uh, whether it's getting you know inducing some fumbles from from Jalen Hurts or some tip passes that, uh, that that land in the wrong hands or whatever it might be, Oklahoma State has got to take some possessions away that way. All right, Scott, it's uh, prediction time. Mm-hmm. We'll, prediction uh, time. Start with you as our, as the guest. What what do you got? Now I'll I'll say this: No matter what, I would be taking Oklahoma State and the points all day long in this game. Fourteen uh, ish is what I've uh, is what I've seen yeah. it at. Um, uh, that said, I think the Oklahoma State defense is playing with enough confidence right now to do some of those things that I that I talked about that they need to do, and particularly taking the ball away, and that's going to be a big lift for uh, for this team. And I think that uh, I think the Cowboys pull out a close one, a very close one, thirty five thirty four. Wow, that uh, that would certainly be something. I know uh, a lot of our listeners would be none too happy with that result. Right. But, uh, certainly, you can't expect this game to to get very far out of hand, even if it does get a far out of hand early, because that's what Oklahoma does lately is play close games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abby, what you got? Uh, I have Oklahoma winning forty-two to thirty-two. So I don't think that Oklahoma State. You know, I don't. I don't think Oklahoma beats. I'm I'm really bad at betting language. Okay, I don't think that they cover. They, yes, sorry. <laughs> I'm I I've never gambled in my life. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think that they cover. But uh, no, I think that I think that OU pulls it out the way they've been doing the past few weeks. Yeah, I actually picked a lower scoring game than than both of you pretty significantly. Twenty seven seventeen. Wow, uh, Oklahoma. I mean, so much of this series over the last decade has been about offenses and mm-hmm. what these offenses are able to do. I think this year both these defenses are a whole lot better. Uh, Oklahoma State's in particular. I think Oklahoma's has been really good over the last six quarters. I, I know people look at some of the things that happened in TCU, but that game's a blowout if Jalen Hurts doesn't turn the ball over those two times because uh, both of them happen right when they're uh, going into score. I think it will be a close game. I think it'll come down to the fourth quarter. But uh, pick the Sooners to come out with a low-scoring win. 
27 to 17, so it should be a fun one. That'd be Very such a weird bedlam if it was if it was yes, low scoring. It would be. It's been a long, long time uh, since we've seen a bedlam with that low a score. Um, Scott, anything else you're looking forward to this weekend in, in college football? Some Obviously some interesting games, some big games when we talk about playoff ramifications yeah there uh, there are and um you know obviously i'm uh I'm looking at, at things through a different scope kind of wondering what direction uh things might go for oklahoma state in uh in in the bowl uh situation and a lot of that has to do with uh with oklahoma and baylor uh and where they end up in uh in the postseason in terms of the playoff or the, the uh, uh or the uh, just the playoff rankings and uh, you know, and then obviously um, the Iowa State Kansas State game has a chance to impact Oklahoma State as well in terms of uh, where where Oklahoma State might fall in the in the pecking order. So um, you know, Oklahoma State, uh, me being uh, being the selfish person that I am, want I want to see Oklahoma State go to the Alamo Bowl because <laughs> I love San Antonio, and so uh, so Oklahoma or uh, or or both Oklahoma and Baylor getting into into major bowls uh, is uh, is kind of the key to that and uh, so I'm, I'm i'm watching in um, uh, with a curious eye to see how those things play out and what the uh, what the committee is going to see this weekend that um, the how it how it impacts things yeah it'll be interesting to see you know depending on what happens here these next two weeks with uh, bedlam and then oklahoma baylor in the big 12 title game what combination it would take to get both of those teams in the the uh, New Year's Six? I think it'd probably take a Baylor win in the Big Twelve title game, right? And you know Baylor going to the Sugar Bowl and Oklahoma being picked for the Cotton and that mm-hmm. uh, at large spot. But I think for OU, the possibilities are you know the lowest if they lose the next two games is the Alamo, um, the the Cotton and Sugar. Or, or well, the sugar's definite unless they make the playoff. Uh, when you you talk about winning the Big Twelve title, mm-hmm. um, and then if they make the playoff, they would be in either Atlanta or uh, or Phoenix. Uh, Glendale, I guess, is where that stadium is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, but I mean, the whole valley is real <laughs> Abby, close our together. Resident Phoenix expert. I, lo- I love Phoenix, <laughs> but uh, those are the two semifinal spots. So. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens. What about the Cowboys? Their their ceiling, I guess, right now is the Alamo Bowl. The uh, I th- I really think that the Texas Bowl in Houston is the most likely destination for them, um, just because I I think it's probably going to be difficult um, for the Big Twelve to end up with with a team in the playoff. And I and all, or all, or the other scenario of two in in uh, New Year's Six Bowl. So, um, you know, then you've got uh, you know good teams on the board when the um, Alamo Bowl is picking and when the Camping World Bowl is picking. I think the Camping World Bowl would probably really like to get Iowa State out there if they could. Um, so then that uh, that leaves the Texas Bowl next in line. And uh, I don't see Oklahoma State dropping any farther than that. Uh, if they do, they would, I'm sure, be passed over by the Liberty Bowl, who just had them last year, <laughs> yeah. which would uh, leave uh, Oklahoma State going to Phoenix for the uh, the Cheez It Bowl. <laughs> so um, that it's it's going to be interesting to see One how of the it best all plays bowl out. names around at least. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So um, yeah, I'm I'm I really think that you know there's a chance that the Camping World Bowl 
uh, could be a, a destination. Um, I saw a couple of projections having them play against Notre Dame in that game, which I would be well, all for. Well, that'd be a heck of a bowl. That would be a, a big-time game. So, is there is there any chance anyone could go to the Frisco Bowl? Because that one's the Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl. And <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's happening for anybody in the Big no, 12, at least. No. But, I just uh, really like smoothies. It, it, so does Mike Gundy. He's a big fan. He, yeah. Big he fan. is a big fan, so... But uh, particularly we're when re- vodka is added. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> it does make everything better, right? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Scott, thank you so much for joining you us. Uh, let people know where they can uh, find you on social media. Hopefully, they know where to find your work by now. After same, places, radio. same places. Same places they find so. ours. Yeah, I would hope so. Uh, but yes, on Twitter at Scott Wright, okay. And, of course, our podcast, if you want to keep up with the Cowboys as well, is the Cowboy Chronicles, available all the same places that yours is. And Scott does a great job with that. Uh, I'm Ryan Aber. You can reach me, R-A-B-E-R, at Oklahoman.com or on Twitter, R-A-B-E-R-R-Y-A-B-E-R. And I'm Abby Bitterman. And, as always, I'm on Twitter, at Abby underscore Bitterman, and through email, abitterman at Oklahoman.com. Once again, you've been listening to the Sooners Extra Podcast, the Sooners Extra Podcast, as always, presented by Zaxby's. You can check out our work every day at Oklahoman.com and every morning in the Oklahoman for the best OU coverage anyway.